Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. So I want to point out that this is just an amazing thread by Matt Cameron, a guy who practices and teaches immigration law. It's just amazing. He's pointing out, and I had forgotten this completely, and I think most Americans, most Americans probably never even knew it, but on January 5th, the day before January 6th, Donald Trump issued an executive order saying that the Department of Justice has collected enough information to deem Antifa a domestic terrorism organization, a domestic terrorist organization, and a criminal organization. Now keep in mind, there is no such thing as Antifa. Antifa is an abbreviation for the words anti-fascist. My father was Antifa. He volunteered in 1944 to fight in World War II. It must have been 1945, because by the time he got out of boot camp, the war had just ended. They had dropped the bomb in Hiroshima. But, you know, he wanted to go fight fascists. He was an anti-fascist. So there is no Antifa headquarters. There's no Antifa badge or arm patch. There's, I mean, just, it literally does not exist. It is a creation in large part of Fox News. Fox News is constantly talking about Antifa as if it's a thing, and it isn't. But here's what happened. On January 5th, the Department of Justice recognized Trump's executive order and put Antifa on the terrorist list, which meant that if Antifa had shown up on January 6th, if anybody had shown up representing themselves as Antifa, and you'll remember there are discussions among the Proud Boys that they were going to do this, they were going to pretend to be Antifa, that if they had shown up and had gotten any kind of meaningful publicity, oh yeah, here's Antifa, look at this, they're picking a fight with the Proud Boys. At that point, because they were on the list of terrorist organizations, Donald Trump could have declared that the U.S. Capitol was under an assault by terrorists and declared the Insurrection Act, and then declared martial law all across the United States. The last time this was done in a big way was by Abraham Lincoln, and he suspended habeas corpus. He said the, the rules no longer apply. You can arrest people and hold them without trial. Now, Lincoln was criticized for that, but that's what he did. And it's apparently what Trump was planning on doing. And then this week, Clarence Thomas and all five of his right-wing crazy fellow justices just said basically that this was a case that involved the border control, border patrol brutalizing people. So if, you know, and Trump had deputized the border patrol as basically his private police. If his private police, if the boy, like they came to Portland here and were kidnapping people without badges on their, on their uniforms, which is blatant violation of the Constitution, Trump was trying to create his SS, basically, his own private police force. And the Supreme Court ruled, and it was you know, revealed last week, that if this was the case, that if Antifa was attacking the Capitol, and if Trump's Border Patrol showed up and beat or killed them, 
that they were immune from lawsuits. This is how fascism starts. This is how fascism moves along. This is what we are seeing right now. We are seeing the development of fascism in the United States. Now, there are some noble Republicans out there. There are some people who are standing up to this. Most specifically, Liz, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger in the House of Representatives, but there, there are some all around the country. But this cult that has seized the Republican Party, they're in loving fascism. listening to the Tom Hartman Program. John Harmon here with you. Just one other thing I wanted to flag for you. The Texas Republicans had their convention over the weekend, and uh, the Texas Republican Party, and they came up with their official party platform for the 2022 elections. And their platform says that, A, uh, Joe Biden is not actually our president. Donald Trump is. Seriously. B, that John Cornyn, who got booed, is now officially rebuked. They are not even going so far as saying, if you are on the terrorist watch list, you can't buy a gun. They literally have not gone that far. And yet, they're rebuking him. And uh, also putting down that they want to change the laws of Texas to make homosexuality, quote, an abnormal lifestyle choice. And they want require school children to be taught that, quote, learn about the humanity of the preborn child, to be taught that life begins at conception and to uh, listen to recordings of fetal heartbeats. Right. They also encourage Republicans to show up in November and volunteer for your local Republicans and overwhelm any possible fraud. So, you know, perpetuating the big lie. But it gets more bizarre than that. Uh, J.R. Majewski, a Republican candidate for Congress in Ohio, this is in the Capitol Star of uh, uh, Pennsylvania, the Penn, Penn Capitol Star was running an ad in which images of Joe Biden, Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar, and Colin Kaepernick, who's not a legislator, he's a football player, black football player, were flashed on the screen. And then the Republican candidate for Congress walks onto stage, onto screen with a rifle and says, I will do whatever it takes to return this country to its former glory. Think about that. Now, down in Arizona, where Gabby Giffords was shot in the head and her husband, Mark Kelly, is running for re-election, Blake Masters, his Republican opponent, runs a TV ad where he's assembling a gun, and he says, I will remind everyone in Congress what shall not be infringed means. In Arizona, State Senator Wendy Rogers talked about the benefits of hanging people at a white supremacist rally. And in Oklahoma, the Republican chair and candidate for Congress talked about putting Anthony Fauci in front of a firing squad. Eric Greitens, who was accused of and, and resigned as the governor of Missouri because he was accused of blindfolding a woman, stripping her naked, tying her to an exercise chair, taking pictures of her, and then using those pictures as blackmail. This is the former governor of Missouri. He's running for re-election. And he says in a tweet, he says, we are sick and tired of the Republicans in name only surrendering to Joe Biden and the radical left. Order your rhino hunting permit today. The ad shows him with a rifle. Now, this is the guy, by the way, whose wife accused him of physically, violently abusing her and their son. The ad shows Greitens with a rifle and a whole bunch of men in military uniforms battering down the door to a house and throwing flashbang grenades inside. As Greitens walks inside the smoke-filled room, as this is his pitch to voters. And he says, join the MAGA crew, get a rhino hunting permit. These monsters are going to get people killed. I don't even know what WTF else to say anymore. Bizarre stuff.
Trump came up with this, uh, not Trump, but uh, John Eastman and his friends came up with, in the Trump administration, came up with this idea that they could recreate the election of 1876 when four states submitted dueling slates of electors to the Electoral College. Oregon, Florida, and as I recall, uh, Mississippi and South Carolina. I may be wrong on those three states, but as a result of that, of course, Sam Tilden, who won the majority of the popular vote and won the majority of the electoral votes, ended up not being president, and Republican Rutherford B. Hayes became president as part of a deal to basically end Reconstruction. A whole long story that we've talked about before on the program. Well, they were trying to reenact that, to recreate that, and part of that plan was having fake electors. And this happened in seven different states where fake electors, the Republicans came out and signed these documents saying, yes, we're the official electors, and we say Trump won the election here in Arizona, here in Wisconsin, here in Georgia, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's only one lawsuit against these people of all these states. And it's being conducted in Wisconsin. It's being led by Jeff Mandel. He's the president and lead counsel of Law Forward. The website is lawforward.org. Law, FWD is their Twitter handle. And uh, Jeff, welcome to the program. Tell us about this lawsuit. The lawsuit is fundamentally an attempt to ensure that there is accountability. Because as you say, what was attempted by these fraudulent electors was completely unprecedented, going all the way back to 1876. And remember that 1876 was such a mess that uh, Congress passed a law, the Electoral Count Act, to ensure that this never happened again. We made it almost 150 years until someone had the audacity to try this. And it is essential that it never, never does happen again. And that's why we're bringing suit. So who are you suing? What is the law under which? What is the basis of the lawsuit? And uh, in what venue is this taking place? Sure. We're here in Wisconsin State Court in Dane County, which is the county here in the capital of Madison. That's where the fraudulent electors met on December 14th, 2020, to carry out their scheme. And, and this, was, this was, by the way, long before January 5th. This, this was weeks, three weeks before January 5th. These guys were working on this plan. That's correct. And today's Washington Post shows that the Trump campaign was hatching this plan and was actively working with it, working on it within 48 hours of Election Day. They were already starting to push this idea. But yes, the Electoral College meets on a date set by law at noon local time in every state capital. And at that time in Wisconsin and six other state capitals, as you noted, uh, fraudulent electors got together to uh, claim to cast each of those states' electoral votes for Trump and Pence, even though Biden had won the popular vote in those states. And so what we're doing here in Wisconsin is we're bringing a lawsuit in state court using state law. Uh, to go after the 10, we have, we have 10 electoral votes here in Wisconsin, so the 10 fraudulent electors and others who helped hatch this scheme. So we've already uh, sued here in Wisconsin a lawyer for the Trump campaign by the name of Jim Troopas. We've already sued a national lawyer by the name of Ken Chesbro, who incidentally is from Wisconsin but hasn't been here in many, many years, who was helping lead this scheme. Those are our defendants right now, and we'll see what we learn from the January 6th committee and from our own discovery in this lawsuit if there are other people who need to be brought into this. What are you asking for in terms of penalties or damages? Well, primarily, as I said, the, the goal here is accountability and making sure that this doesn't happen again. But we're, we're, we're going about this in several different ways. We are asking the court for a clear declaration that when the fraudulent act electors acted, they did so illegally and unlawfully and improperly. Uh, second, we are asking that these individuals who were part of this scheme and this attempt to uh, steal from the voters of Wisconsin their, their right to participate in choosing the president in 2020, we're asking these folks never be allowed to participate in the Electoral College again. Uh, and we are also asking for, because of the magnitude of the harm here, we are asking the court as a deterrent to assess punitive damages, uh, that is, uh, money damages that exist solely for the purpose of punishing and deterring this kind of action uh, to the maximum extent allowed by law against each of the defendants. So far, uh, what has happened? Uh, you've, you've filed the lawsuit. Have, uh, did, you, did I hear you say that discovery has begun? Not yet, unfortunately. Uh, the law is, of course, slow. So we, we filed the lawsuit in mid-May, 
And we then need to serve all of these all of these folks with copies. We've gotten all the fraudulent electors served, and we're working on the lawyers. Um, we had a very hard time finding Mr. Chesbrough, but we've now found him, and we're going to be serving Mr. Trupas by agreement tomorrow. And then the law gives them a period of time to respond. They get 45 days, each of them from the day they were served, to join the lawsuit and show up. And then we'll be able to, once we've seen uh, what, what they're going to say in response, then we'll be able to to begin the discovery process and really get, for the first time, details about exactly how this scheme uh, went down in Wisconsin. Who was it who sent out uh, the message to all of these folks that they should come together? How did they do it? Literally, how did they get into a locked Capitol building? Because the building was closed due to COVID. Uh, and, and what exactly happened with the one member of the Republican electors slate who chose not to attend and had to be replaced uh, as part of this scheme. Hmm. Those are all questions we're going to be trying to figure out in discovery. Why are why are there not similar lawsuits happening in the other six states where this conspiracy was executed? It's a great question. Um, I think there are a couple of reasons. One of the things that happened here is that the, the, the scheme was so audacious and so contrary to our fundamental understandings of how our democracy works, that there aren't, at least here in Wisconsin, specific laws that prohibit people from doing this, right? We have laws that say once you are an elector, you have to be a faithful elector. You have to vote for the candidate to whom you were pledged, and that's how you became an elector. What we don't have is laws that say, hey, if your party, if your candidate doesn't win, you don't actually get to be an elector, and you shouldn't pretend. This isn't a good spot for for. for for, for cosplay. Um, we've never needed laws like that. And so one of the challenges has been figuring out how to take the egregious conduct here and fit it into the boxes that existing law already has. And which boxes are you fitting this into? And how is Wisconsin different from other states? Well, we're using state law, and state laws do differ a little bit. Uh, one of the boxes we're fitting this into is public nuisance, which is you know a centuries-old common law doctrine that prohibits people from taking private actions that uh, harm others, right? So you can't use your property in a way that creates pollution or other things that hurt your neighbors. Uh, but we found some good language in some old Wisconsin public nuisance cases that we think uh, bring this within the boundaries of public nuisance. We're also using an old common law idea, um, and I apologize for the Latin, but it's called quo warranto. Um, this is a, 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 an order that you used to go and get, get from a court if you had title to a public office, but someone else was refusing to vacate the office and was, was trying to usurp that office. Well, that's actually um, in the statutes here in Wisconsin. And we represent two of the Biden electors who are saying, hey, we want an order that these people tried to usurp our position and take the uh, office to which we were rightfully elected by the will of the voters. We've got a couple of other theories, but it, it, it's that kind of thing of taking these old, established legal principles and trying to apply them to a new situation that no one ever foresaw. So the uh, the fraud provisions, I guess that's criminal law. Well, there's, there's civil penalties for fraud as well. I, the fraud provisions don't work because what, there was no money involved? Well, depending on the state, um, there's no money involved, which is one potential problem. The bigger problem is that nobody believed these folks. Usually to show fraud, what you have to show is that someone lied and they deceived uh -huh. someone who heard the lie, that that person acted in reliance. Right. Here, Congress did not act on these false documents. Uh, I mean, arguably, the people who acted on these false documents were the insurrectionists who swarmed the Capitol on January 6th. There would have been no reason for them to be trying to pressure uh, then-Vice President Pence to do something different, because what they wanted him to do was count these false electoral slates. If there were no such slates, there would have been no Well, no so basis you could, you could argue that the, the January 6th attackers believed this. We could, and we're, we're looking into that. That's not part of our complaint right now, but we, we're, we're, yeah. we're continuing to assess both the facts and the legal theories as, as new information comes to light. And we're going to press every possible theory because ultimately, as I said, this is about accountability and making sure this never happens again. We're talking with Jeff, uh, Jeff Mandel. He's the president and lead counsel with lawforward.org and uh, on Twitter, lawfwd. Uh, be sure to check it out. Uh, Jeff, last question. Are, are you in communication with attorneys in the other five or the other six states 
Um, have you done any outreach there? Do you, would you want to? Is there anything that we can do to help? Well, thanks. Law Forward is really focused on protecting and advancing democracy here in Wisconsin. And our team has its hands full with, unfortunately, with all of the challenges uh, to democracy here in Wisconsin. That said, we, we do have friends in other states. We have been in touch with attorneys in other states. And we've heard since we filed this lawsuit, we've heard from a number of people in other states saying, I want to be a plaintiff. Someone needs to bring a lawsuit here. So hopefully that is coming and, and people are working on that. Cool. So if somebody lives in one of these six other states, they can contact you at lawforward.org? Absolutely. Okay. I'll make sure that the message gets to the right folks. Great. Jeff Mandel, the website is lawforward, L-A-W-F-O-R-W-A-R-D.org, and L-A-W-F-W-D on Twitter. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Carol in Auburn, Washington. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? Hey, I have a question about Mitch McConnell. Did he bring that Russian aluminum plant into Kentucky, or was that something that was just dismissed since we're putting the sanctions on the Russians? Do you know anything about it? He announced it in time for the election that this, uh, I believe it was a $200 million plant was going to be built. It was going to be built with, uh, was it Deripaska? It was one of the Russian oligarchs was going to fund it. That's why they started calling him Moscow Mitch. He got a lot of good publicity across across the state, across Kentucky for that. Everybody thought he was he'd done this wonderful thing. And then after the election was over, you know, it kind of stopped. And now it's dead. That's uh, oh, so is my best no, understanding. So, okay, that I don't think they question. ever even even broke ground. I'm not even sure if they acquired land. They might have acquired some land, but I think that's about as close as they got to having an aluminum plant. Jason in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Hey, Jason, thanks for watching this on YouTube. What's up? Hi, Tom. Say, I was watching a NBC News report yesterday about the stealing PPP money. Right. And uh, they were saying that besides Ferraris, houses, and all sorts of things, uh, people from Europe using their computers to get some of that money. Um, they're saying that this investigator claimed he could only get 10%, maybe at the most, yeah. of the money reclaimed. Now, what my question to you is, isn't there a money trail when the government was printing out the PPP money? I mean, aren't there checks, banks, records? What happened to all of the accountability? I think you have to keep in mind that the PPP program rolled out under Donald Trump. And uh, Wilbur Ross, uh, one of the billionaires in his cabinet, uh, has been described by Forbes magazine as a, as a grifter. Um, he, he was surrounded by grifters. So it shouldn't surprise us that if the Democrats and the Republicans, actually some, some Republicans voted for this as well, um, but if they come to the White House and say, okay, we want to give you know, a, a half a trillion or a trillion dollars to people to get them through the pandemic, that the White House being in charge of implementation of that would do it in a way that would allow the grifters to get away with stealing them blind. I'm guessing, I've seen articles alluding to this, but I haven't seen any good in-depth reporting on it. But I'm guessing that some of that PPP money ended up in Donald Trump's pocket. I think you're right. So, you know, it just, it just, it just makes sense to me that if you've got a grifter as a president and Congress says, here, here's a pile of money, pass it out to people, that, you know, a lot of grifters are going to get that money and we won't be able to get it back because of the way that they do it. And, and, uh, and that's the kind of thing that just frustrates the hell out of everybody. It does. It's, and this is why, you know, a couple of days ago, I, I, the op-ed I wrote over at HartmanReport.com was how business, it seems, <laughs> the main business of the Republican Party these days is this giant grift. And, you know, and everybody in the GOP is in on this grift. And it's, it's just... There's 
siphoning the money out of the middle class for their luxuries. Yes, they absolutely are. It's, you know, how much more money can we pour into the billionaires' money bins? Spot on. Alex in Orange, New Jersey. Hey, Alex, what's on your mind today? I live in New York, and I noticed that Kathleen Rice voted against lowering prescription costs. Schrader also on Oregon. It makes it hard for us to campaign on stuff like this. Yeah. Well, we got rid of Schrader here in Oregon. He's out. And Schrader also voted against it. Yeah, I know. I mean, those are the two names I remember. And, yeah. and it, like, it feels like a knife to the gut almost, you know? Yep, I'm with you. I'm and with then you. you're like, okay, we spent five years talking about this. And then when we have the chance to do something, I mean, everyone's been attacking Manchin. Manchin, Manchin voted with us for that. And that's a big deal. Yeah. Although so we wouldn't break the filibuster for it. No, I understand. I'm just trying to make a small point that Maybe we should stop picking on individuals and then, like, look at the group because sometimes the group lets us down. You well, what you're talking about, Alex, here is sometimes referred to as the Blue Dog Caucus or the Problem Solvers Caucus. These are the, yeah. these are the Democrats who are proudly taking corporate money and then voting against things like Medicare for All. Like I said, here in Oregon, we had a great progressive, Jamie McLeod Skinner, who primaried Kurt Schrader, took him down. I'm pretty sure she's going to win the general election. She's a great candidate. Somebody needs to be going after Rice, too. I'm, I'm with you, Alex. I'm with you. And we need to do something about Patty in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Patty, thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. What's up? Has any congressman ever voted against the Pentagon budget? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them have. Well, I know Mark Pocan has. Um, he voted against it the last time. Um, but, you know, Bernie used to vote against them regularly. There's, there's a bunch of members of the Progressive Caucus who have regularly voted against the Pentagon budget. Okay, I always wondered. I'd love to have a list of those people. You know where I can find it other than investigating the congressional record? All you have to do is get the um, uh, bill number or the name of the bill, uh, the, the military appropriations bill, and, and look it up. I mean, there's a, there's a, a, a record of the votes that are held. So just you just find that one piece of legislation, and it shouldn't be shouldn't be hard to track it down. Uh, thanks a lot for the call, Patty. Graham confirmed in his debate with Bernie Sanders, if the Republicans take control of the House and Senate, they are intending to cut Social Security and Medicare. He, he just basically came right out and said it, uh, you know, very, very straightforward, said this is what we're going to be up to. His actual quote was, you know, Bernie said, why don't we get, you know, why is that? You know, why is it that we have such a, a screwed up health care system? And Lindsey Graham said, uh, that's socialism, and it's not going to fix America. We are not a socialist nation. There is a better way. I promise you that. Right. And, and Mitch McConnell, by the way, does not want Lindsey Graham and, uh, and Rick Scott now talking about the fact that they plan to cut Social Security and Medicare. Rick Scott has proposed that they end Social Security and Medicare within five years. Lindsey Graham is just saying, let's just cut the benefits you know, by 20% or so, because, you know, there's not the revenue there, and we don't want to lift the caps of people making more than a quarter million dollars a year, or $400,000 a year, I guess, is, is the, the new program, uh, have to pay any of their income into uh, Social Security taxes. How dare they? Right. So it's wild stuff. It's just absolutely wild stuff that is going on. I also wanted to get into this just absolutely amazing clip that's floating around of this guy, Barry, Congressman Barry Loudermilk, gave a tour to a bunch of people who were taking pictures in the halls and, and you know, the exits and down in the basement and all kinds of places. I mean, normally when people take pictures, when they go to the Capitol, they take pictures of like, you know, the painting of George Washington or stuff like that. But no, no, these people are taking pictures of entrances and exits and windows and doors. And then the exact same people that Congressman Loudermilk gave the tour to on January 5th showed up on January 6th. And here is a clip of one of them. Man, glad this to be a, here, bro. This is our fearless leader. Hey, baby. Dan let's go. Check out my flag I made, guys. See it? There you go, it's baby. Got a sharp point <laughs> That's from a certain person. That's right. That's for somebody's, somebody special. Somebody special. <laughs> 
And then they go on to say, All right, there we, we are basically at the Capitol with probably close to two million true American patriots. They are swarming and converging, mainly from Constitution Avenue, but from all routes in. There's no escape, Pelosi. Schumer, Nadler, we're coming for you. We're coming in like white on rice for Pelosi, Nadler, Schumer, even you, AOC, we're coming to take you out. Yeah. And so there you go. I mean, this Pull is you this, out by your this hairs. yeah, this is the guy if the news reports are accurate that Congressman Loudermilk took on a tour of the Capitol the day before. And was he the only guy leading these tours? We don't know. But I mean, this is major and evil stuff. It's just mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. So, anyway, wanted to share that with you. Let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Phil in Park Ridge, Illinois. Hey, Phil, what's on your mind today? You know, we've got this big lie, and Congress and these hearings have really shown it to be a big lie what it is. But the big lie is really followed by a big truth. And the truth is, all these legislations have been passed on the state level to restrict voting and curtail voting rights and things like that. What's going to become of them? Because they were based on the big lie... But they've become the big truth, yeah. in a sense. No, I, I get it. You and now, now you got uh, you know Jim Marchant just won the uh, Republican primary in Nevada. He's a guy who doesn't believe in democracy. He's he's saying you know if Donald Trump is running, you know we're not going to count the votes of the people who who are running against him. I mean it's just words to that effect. Same thing with J- Doug Mastriano, the guy who is the Republican nominee for governor of Pennsylvania. Same thing. These guys are so-called truthers. Ken Paxton in Texas. Now, you know, they're all at least 72 members of Congress who voted to overturn the election, according to a New York Times analysis. In Georgia, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Texas, you got 157 state legislators who took concrete steps to overturn or undermine the 2020 election. Uh, this is from a piece by Matthew Chapman over our story. This is a serious issue, Phil. I agree with you. There's got to be a reckoning around this. I mean, this is just nuts. How much time and effort has been spended in these legislators passing these bills that were based on a lie? Yeah, a lot. And they're continuing with it. And I don't think that enough attention is being paid to this. We're, we're pointing out, you know, Donald Trump knew he was lying. Donald Trump grifted off this. He raised a quarter of a billion dollars, you know, lying to people, committing arguably consumer fraud. But the fact that the end point of all this is ending democracy, is ending our electoral system, is, is corrupting our democracy. That is not discussed anywhere near enough, and I hope the committee gets there, Phil, because I'm, I'm with you on this. Phil, thanks a lot for the call. Duncan in Chicago says you disagree with me, so you go to the front of the line. Duncan, what's up? I do disagree with you. I am actually a conservative. I'm not, I'm not a necessarily a Republican, but I'm conservative. What does that and mean? What do you mean? Being a conservative, does that mean that you think that only white people should run the country? No, not at all. Does that mean that you think that rich people shouldn't have to pay taxes? Rich people make the money they make. So they shouldn't have to pay taxes? Well, I don't think anybody... Does that mean that you don't believe that the planet is uh, in danger from global warming? No, I don't. Okay, so I'm just trying to understand what people mean when they say I'm a conservative. Okay, so so you, you want to disagree with me about what? Well, I think you're doing a really kind of a disservice to us because you're every time somebody says that you're a white supremacist or you're a racist or you're a whatever, then they become a little bit more of that. Right? No, I don't think that Republicans are affected by my rhetoric. I don't think Republicans outside of yourself, Duncan, and a few people who listen to this show generally are listening to what I have to say. But I, what I am observing is that Republicans in state after state are passing laws and promulgating regulations specifically designed to prevent black people and, and Hispanic people in particular, minorities, racial minorities, from voting. 
How is that not white supremacy writ large? And and we're hearing this kind of rhetoric. I mean, I, you just heard everything I shared with you. How, how I, you know, how, how am I responsible for the white supremacists and the racists and the haters in the Republican Party? Well, wh- why am I responsible for that? You're not responsible. I didn't mean to say that you were responsible, but I mean, I hear, I you know, I listen to this channel. I'm a conservative. I listen to this channel. That makes right. me. This is WCPT in Chicago. You're listening to. That makes me kind of unique, but but it's like hating, hating, hating. What, have, what have I said that's that. hateful? Everything. No, no. Give me one specific sentence where I hated on somebody. Well, you say we're evil, evil people. I haven't said anybody was evil. It's not, that is not part of my vocabulary. I don't call people evil generally. Well, I call policies right. evil, but, you know, I, I, I in fact, I, I, I don't think I used the word evil this morning at all. Specifically, I give me an example of my hating on anybody. I can give you all kinds of examples of Republicans hating on people. All right. Well, I'm a conservative and live in Illinois. Am I evil? I don't. I don't know you, Eric or Duncan. I have no idea if you're evil or not. I'm not. I think. I think you're. I think you're subscribing. You are believing the lies. You've got. You know, the fossil fuel industry for years has been funding to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know, lies about climate change. You're obviously believing those lies. Um, I'm assuming, although maybe it's not safe to assume, I should just ask you uh, if you're believing Donald Trump's lie that he actually won the election. Do you believe that? You know, what? I'm a I'm a pretty hardcore conservative. I don't think he lost the election. So you think Donald Trump won the election? Joe Biden stole it through through fraud. No, I don't think he I don't think. Donald Trump won the election. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. So you're you're a semi-rational person. I I congratulate you. Well, thank you. Okay, <laughs> Duncan. I'll you know we'll we'll have to continue continue this conversation another time. Thank you for the call, Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? You know, you talked about the Trump administration was going to officially declare Antifa terrorist organization. Right. And I just wanted to throw this out there. It was you a know, January fifth always- executive order, by the way. Right. Well, and, and this this um, internal security threat, this fifth column, whatever you want to call it, this this uh, ghost threat is essential, I believe, to what the Trump agenda is. What you know that 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 branch of the Republican Party wants to do, you have to have something like that to galvanize society and also to get us liberals to ignore something. And what what we. Um, what we're ignoring, I believe, is. Do you remember you, you did um, you did a talk about the doll the Dolly computer and how it seems to be self aware? Yeah. And there, right, right. There's a lot of material there, Tom. A lot of material, and also, uh, just coincidentally, I was listening to the Republicans over the weekend, some of the more highbrow Republicans, and they were talking about this whole January sixth thing. It's nothing more than a, a Jean Valjean, you know, a Les Miserables. It's a, it's a ridiculous money-spending thing by the liberals. Now, at the lower level, like the lower-level conservative shows, they were talking about um, these computers, right, these, these AIs. Now, a lot of stuff to talk about there, but they, I couldn't believe it, Tom. This guy was actually a never-Trumper, but he was a, you know, labeled himself a conservative. He said he was in the Reagan administration. They actually linked all this AI controversy, or whatever you want to call it, material, back to 9-11. And they just kept droning on and on and on uh, about 9-11. That's amazing. And I mean, I'll let you take it for what it's worth, but Dave in Washington finds that extremely creepy. Right? Yeah. I find that very creepy. Yeah. But, you know, and we, we as liberals, I, I think we just have to be careful because we're entering... Um, I don't know. We're entering some really uh, dangerous territory with these um, with these conservatives. I don't. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But, I don't. Th- um, I don't think it's the conservatives. You know, like the guy who called earlier. You know, the old-fashioned conservatives who, you know, they're taking industry's word for climate change, and you know, they've got a few beliefs that are fairly demonstrably not right. But, but they still, you know, they still think that whoever wins an election should be the person in office. I don't think this is about conservatives. I think this is about a cult, a fascist cult, and and we need to call it that. It's a fascist cult that has taken over the Republican Party, and it has a religious arm, which is QAnon, 
and it has a military arm, which is a half a dozen different armed militias. And, you know, they are pulling themselves together and getting ready for the war. You kept asking one of the callers, what does that mean, being a conservative? That's the part I'm talking about, not actually being a conservative. Because these, these titles, liberal and conservative, they vary. They vary from, from state, nation state to nation state. But the thing is, is um, a lot of, I'm not going to say all, but like the guy I was, that linked everything back to, um, the, the AI back to um, 9-11, he called himself a conservative, but he was not, he, he actually said something highly critical of Donald Trump. I mean, it seems Sounds like, like he's actually a conspiracy nut. <laughs> well, yeah, and, the, it, and, I'm, and I'm familiar with that. I, you know, I've been called that for years for for the book that Lamar and I wrote on the JFK assassination. Dave, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Matt in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Matt, thanks for listening to AM 950. What's on your mind today? I'm going to point out an irony, a supreme irony. Talk about literacy tests and qualifying tests for voting. Here, I got one. How about a literacy or an education or or awareness test for people who would answer these questions in the wrong way? Did Donald Trump win the 2020 election? Uh, Is there climate change? And on and on and on. How about a test on that basis? And we could disqualify 76 million people who voted for Donald Trump in 2020. <laughs> yeah, we could, Matt, but I'm opposed to literacy tests. I think people, even <laughs> even even misinformed people, even stupid people, even even evil people, to use that word, um, should be allowed to vote. We, you know, that, that, democracy, demos is the people. It, do, it doesn't mean some people. It means all the people. Modest proposal, that's all. I get it. I get it. Okay, Matt, thanks a lot for the call. Mark in Valley, Washington. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, I'm hoping you can persuade me that I'm wrong, but I just don't seem to see the sense of urgency amongst the, especially the Justice Department and the Democratic leadership to stave off this uh, rise of fascism for the Republicans. Yeah. I am with you with regard to the Democratic leadership. I think that uh, Schumer is providing very, very weak T leadership on this, and and it concerns me. I think Pelosi is doing a much better job, frankly. I like the fact that the the chair, Jamie Harrison, of the uh, Democratic National Committee is out there calling Republicans fascist. He came on this program and he said they're fascists. We need to call them fascists. But the rest of the party is not listening to What are they going to do about it? I know, exactly. Calling and, somebody and, a fascist and doing something about it are two different things. And this is this is why Schumer should have done whatever it took to get Joe Manchin yeah. and Kirsten Cinema to vote to suspend the filibuster so that they could pass, um, at the very least, voting rights in the United States. I mean, that you know, for look, the people like they don't get a handle on this. I'll see you in the re-education camps. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Mark. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm with you. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Right, because the Republican Party has adopted the politics of a tainter. And that is uh, a term, an ancient, uh, not an ancient term, but a, a historical term that means that they accuse you in retrospect or ex post facto. Um, The Constitution says, uh, Article 1, Section 9, says no bill of attainder or ex post facto law shall be passed. That means they can accuse you in retrospect, or a a bill of attainder can be, uh, we are going to pass a law that only applies to you. 
for instance, laws that apply to transgender youth uh, not being able to play uh, school public school sports. That's a bill of attainder. Um, for uh, for example, lock her up is a is an attainder slogan. For what? I mean, you can accuse somebody in retrospect. As a matter of fact, I think it was the Alabama legislature that passed the bill that said any woman who's ever had an abortion will be accused of murder once the Roe v. Wade is overturned. That's an that's an attainment. That's clearly a bill of attainment. Yeah. Huh? That's clearly a bill they, of attainment. Yeah. Here's the the other thing uh, I wanted to say about habeas corpus. Lincoln actually had the the option to. Suspend the privilege, it's a privilege, it says in Article 9, the privilege, uh, sorry, in Article 1, Section 9, the privilege of habeas corpus during rebellion, which the Civil War certainly was a rebellion. Right. Um, so what I'm surprised that Donald Trump didn't do or didn't have an opportunity to do was first declared that Antifa was a terrorist organization, which, by the way, Antifa was invented after the uh, after the Charlottesville incident in August right. of 2017. You'd never heard the word Antifa before that. I fell on the floor laughing, really, the, the next day when it came up. This yeah. was Antifa. Right. And I thought, Antifa has been around since 1945. Right. They invented it, but I'm surprised that Trump didn't just say that Antifa was there and then suspend habeas corpus. Oh, yeah. And start I, I, I think that was his plan, but uh, they didn't yeah. show up. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Pat in San Diego. Hey, Pat. Thanks for watching this on YouTube. What's hey, up? I'm desperate to see the, the uh, sabotage of our economy which is going to destroy our possibility of winning many, many races in the elections. What I see is a sabotage because of the oil companies, on one hand, causing all prices to just skyrocket. I agree. And this Jerome Powell is going to kill us with his increased interest rates. He went bent over backwards during the Trump administration to keep that economy going, and now he's doing the opposite. And I believe rising interest rates only all costs go up, which makes all inflation go up. So this is ridiculous, the way, you know, what they're doing to the economy and to the nation. I consider it a horrible crime. But what I wanted to ask you, I heard the entire debate of Bernie with with Lindsey Graham, and, you know, he was great, but again, he failed miserably on the gas prices and allowed Lindsey Graham to get through with all of his crazy talk about the pipeline being stopped and that it wasn't the war and and all this stuff. So Lindsey Graham got through with his main points in the end because Bernie failed to give two very important topics which you have covered. Number one, those charts that show the profits of the oil industry going through the roof. Right. And the second thing you have said to us is that at the same time, at the time when the price of oil barrels was 118 or something mm-hmm. like that, you said the gas prices were about half. Yeah, it was three dollars and twenty-five cents. But it was Bernie who said that in that debate with Lindsey Graham. Well, he, he That's did, where I got that I, stat I, from. He did not bring it out in the debate. What I wanted to ask you is if you have. Uh, a write-up that just, in fact, has those two points. That I, every I, I single don't. But, but Bernie did make that point in that debate with Lindsey Graham, and it is in that clip that we played yesterday where he said well, the last time oil I, was $118 a barrel, oh. gasoline was three twenty-five dollars a gallon. Kurt in Akron, Ohio. Kurt, what's on your mind today? Well, thank you for taking the call, Tom. So, anyway, Saturday, I was listening to your show on Friday, and a caller called in talking about an idea of getting out the vote and going to Canvas neighborhoods and talk to the constituents in their various neighborhoods, if you remember the call. I'm, I'm not certain, but continue. Okay. Okay. So, Saturday, I call my precinct committee person in Akron Precinct 7-1, mm-hmm. and I'm talking to her and everything, and... I think I started sounding a little bit like you, you know, being real studious and historic and tying the history into, you know, what's going on. And uh, she said, you know what? You know more about this than I do. I'm going to resign my position as precinct committee person because I think you could do a better job than I can. So (laughs) I'm going to, so I'm going to go to the Democratic Party in Summit County 
and suggest that they appoint you as the precinct committee person for 7-1. Are you now? I'm not listed yet. Well, Kurt, that's fantastic. You shouldn't have to bump somebody off to get in there. No, I didn't want to. That was no, I get it. That's not my intention. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, she said, you know, I was actually appointed to this position because I was told, you ought to do this, but I have no idea how to do this. And you sound so intelligent about how you can tie the history of the past with what's going on now and what people That's need to know great. as far as the issues. And I think you would do a much better job at doing this than I could. That's great. This is like the one of the single most important things people can be doing right now is, number one, contacting your local Democratic Party and saying, I want to become a precinct committee person, because these are the people who decide in most states, it varies from state to state, but generally, and right. sometimes they're even paid positions, um, mostly not, but it varies from state to state. I know but, in Ohio it's not. <laughs> okay, yeah, so it's a volunteer there. Um, but these are the people who write the party's platform. And in fact, I mm -hmm. heard from uh, 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 Troy Miller over the weekend. Troy is the guy that, uh, uh, Troy used to be my producer when I was in D.C., now, for this program, and he also works on the D.C. radio station now, but he lives in West Virginia. He's a West Virginian. He just ran and, and got elected to the state party. To the, I, I believe he's a precinct committee person, and, but he said that uh, progressives just swept the state. The, the Democratic Party in West Virginia is now under the control oh, of progressives. Good. Yeah, so and we're, we're going to try and get him, him and some of, some of those other people on the program to tell us and how I they would, did it. And I would make a suggestion, too, for people listening. If you don't know who your precinct committee person is, like I'm looking right now at my voter profile on my county board of elections website as I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. And if you, they have a section, most of them should have a section that says, list of your elected officials down at the very bottom are those precinct committee people and i'm looking here and we have a democrat we have a republican and we have three vacant green party at large precinct committee people hmm. interesting so so that's where you need to start and you know contact your local political parties First thing that I would suggest people do is exactly what you did, Kurt, which is reach out to the party and, and if you're willing to become a precinct committee person, do so. The second thing I would strongly suggest people should be doing is contacting, and, and typically you can do this through your local Democratic Party as well, pledging your willingness to become either a poll watcher or a poll worker. Mm -hmm. One or the other. Yep. And see, it used to be in Ohio that the precinct committee people did appoint the poll workers. Oh, interesting. But now it's so now it's the Board of Elections that, that right, does it right. in the state of Ohio. But we need people. I mean, Steve Bannon has gotten thousands of Republicans now to put themselves in these positions. He, he is my mother's pounding a poll on worker. every day. There you go. My mother's a poll worker. My mother used so to be. That's how I know about fact, it. In fact, she... In fact, she's looking forward to doing it again on August 2nd when we have the special election That's great. To, uh, to figure out our congressional maps. That's great. Well, Kurt, thank you for the call and thank you for the inspiration. And hopefully you've inspired a lot of other people. I do appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much. Nicholas uh -huh. in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's on your mind today? I always only rather call you when I'm really outraged. The last time was about that Haitian history, you might remember. Mm -hmm. Today, uh, I'm as outraged as you are about this West Virginia versus the EPA case. It's about to be, uh, the opinion in which is about to be delivered by the Supreme Court. Um, and, and particularly, as you, you, you inferred earlier, made mention of earlier, is what's called the Chevron deference. You know what that is. And uh, for those who are not listening, it's that when Justice John Paul Stevens, who was the uh, head of the court, wrote the uh, unanimous opinion, unanimous opinion of the court, they decided that courts must defer to federal agencies. Right, this like was in 1984. Right? Yeah, That's right. Chevron because versus uh, NRDC was the case. Exactly, exactly. And that was, of course, because it's obvious that agencies possess considerably more information, data, expertise, you know, experts in the fields and the subjects than judges could ever possibly possess. Yep. So that has held since, as you just said, since 1984. So all of our federal agencies are now under attack. It's not just the EPA, yep. as, you, as you also inferred. This is part of the Bannon-McConnell. And, and by the way, I regard Bannon as a junior McConnell. They both want to, under the administrative state, they want to small down the government. They do not want agencies overseeing, you know, the pollution of the great corporations, particularly fossil fuel, as we all know now far too well. 
But McConnell, when he when he blocked Obama's appointment right to the Supreme Court, that basically assured Gorsuch comes in. And then, as you know, I'm sure because you know history and. And by by the way, I'm often accused of knowing a lot of stuff, and I say blame Tom Hartman for that because it's his fault that I know half of what I know. You know that it was then Leonard Leo, right? Yep. That monster who steps in, who was the what? He was the executive vice president of the Federalist Society. There's right? an absolutely brilliant article that was published last week in the Atlantic, and there's a link to and 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 you can, anybody can read it. It's it's you know your your free read. And there's a link to that in my op-ed today at Harvard Report, and it's really worth reading because it lays out that history of how Leonard Leo and his buddies got these guys on the Supreme Court in the first place with money from the fossil fuel industry. Right. And now, now that they've gotten these justices on the court, these same people are bringing the West Virginia versus EPA case to that court. So now their justices get to overhear their case. So we know where this is going, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's it, a lot's going to depend on whether he can get Roberts to go along with him. But I'm you guessing he, he will because it was fossil fuel money to put Roberts will. on the court. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, gu- I'm guessing he will. Yeah, I, I think yeah. so. And I, I'm, I'm not optimistic Boy. about how this is going to shake out. We are in big trouble. Well, we'll we see. Big trouble. We will see. We're, we may have to put this country back together again after they tear it apart. Now, Nicholas, thank you very much for the call. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Dana in New York City. Hey, Dana, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you. Uh, go back you. all the way to the Air America days. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I told your screener, um, the thing, one of the issues, it's not, the, not the, the biggest issue, but one of the issues with going after, you know, getting Trump on something or anything is that if for some prosecutors, they're reluctant to, to put in all this work and effort and risk and everything, and he gets, you know, three months at Danbury. Right. Plus, know, no, plus, they get death threats and their family gets harassed and everything else. I mean, yeah, there's, it, no, there's a fear yeah, there's factor no, here too, which is a problem with fascists. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no there's no thirty to life penalties in this. There's no, you know, seizure of, of all your of all their assets. Like, you know, like, right. You know, one of the people he likes to steal from is uh, Frank Lucas. You know, his whole Fifth Avenue thing. That's right out of American Gangster. Because mm-hmm. all he does is, well, he, you know, he's television incarnate. So what's the point, Dana? Where, where are you going with this? Well, we need we need we need much stronger penalties for you know for the largely financial crimes that he's committed. Ah, uh, I think they're substantial. Um, I mean, he, if they can prove bank fraud and and tax fraud, you're talking you know those are ten and twenty year felonies. Yeah, if they can actually get him on yeah basically mail fraud, you know, but yeah, um, mail fraud's five year felony. That's what Steve Bannon was convicted of. Yeah, until Trump well, pardoned if him. Get, if they can get him onto <laughs> something that simple. Um, that's great, but for remember the that big expose the Times did 2018. I mean, the whole history of how his father, you know, moved all the money. Yeah, I remember it well. In fact, it was his it was his niece over, Mary who provided them with the documentation that led to that. Well, well oh, you know, the, over 90 percent of what his you know they did was legal because the rich have bought these laws in their favor. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's this, all this stink in the law that needs to be removed. I'm, I'm with you, Dana. We, we do need to clean up our laws, absolutely, and we need to be prosecuting Donald Trump. Thank you for the call. Carl in Chicago. Hey, Carl, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, you're talking about that statement that they have uh, about Trump asking him to find more votes? Yeah. In, you mean Brad Raffson-Perger in Georgia? Correct. Yeah. Unless there's a continuation of that conversation, that conversation, I've heard that many times, 
that conversation is basically a big nothing because if I was Trump, all I would say is, yeah, I wanted him to find more votes. I didn't mean illegally. I meant for him to to do a recount and look for the illegal votes or the votes that shouldn't have been there or the votes from dead people, and I'm sure you're going to find 11,000 more votes. I never, never, ever meant to hit for him to do anything illegally, and yeah. that argument gets blown right out of the water. You may be right, Carl. You may I be right. right. We, we, okay, we will see how it plays out. Thanks a lot for the call. Kevin in Roseville, Minnesota. Hey, Kevin. I was listening to the fella earlier there, the mental health professional. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote a book and stuff. And Stephen Hassan, yeah. The, uh, talking about the cult there. And uh, I wanted to call at that time. I wasn't able to get through. But I am one of those cult people. And uh, what I would want... What I had wanted to call about, you know, he says, well, you should approach him. It would be nice to him. And then maybe, you know, you might want to ask him, you know, how did you get in? How did you get into this? And I was just going to call earlier and maybe answer some of them questions for him. Hmm. Well, we've, we're out of time now. Or I uh, thought. Yeah. But give me, a, give me a call, you know, later on in the week, Kevin, and uh, we can talk about it. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It it requires our collective involvement. So reach out to your local political party, uh, particularly, you know, the Democratic Party, and offer to become a precinct committee person or offer to be a poll watcher or a poll worker. And or or get involved with one of the great organizations out there that, that are doing on-the-ground work. There's so much we can do. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.